Would you pray for our time in the Word? Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have, God. Yes, Lord. Father, that we would never take it for granted, God. Father, as we lift up those that don't have that privilege, God, we pray that there continued strength and encouragement, Lord. pray that the gospel would go forth all across this world, and nothing would hinder it, God. pray for our time together, Father. May it be pleasing unto you. May your word go forth, and Father, that there would be a great return.
kindness endures throughout the generations. Oh, how I pray that we know you, Lord, and that we have called upon your name, Father, and have been born again. For those who haven't, God, then I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that their blind eyes would be opened, that their deaf ears would begin to hear. Father, for we know it's you who begin this work in us, and it's you who draws us to yourself. That you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. So I pray that as your word goes forth, Father, that Jesus, you would be revealed to your people, to those who, Father, you have predestined, have set apart for yourself. 
So we thank you in advance, Father, that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Bless the reading of your word this morning, I pray, Father, we thank you that it would not return void. We ask God for an abundance harvest to come forth and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. The second R today, we are reviewing again to resolve. So we have three R's to repent, to resolve, and to release again. Our hope is that we're growing. Our hope is that we are maturing this year and we're understanding what it means to live a lifestyle that is repentive. We're understanding what it means to live a lifestyle to, that, that is resolving and, and then we're living a lifestyle that is releasing. So to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up one's mind. And so here are some scriptures that we've read through Philippians 4, 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So daily are you getting up? Have you made up your mind? Have you decided on a firm course of action to truly trust in Christ, to know that I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength? In Psalm 118, verse 6 through 8, <clears throat> the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. <coughs> Have you made up your mind? Have you decided firmly on a course of action to truly trust in the Lord, to know that He is for you and so that you will not fear? That you've come to, a, to an understanding that what can people do to you? Have you truly came to an understanding that the Lord is for you and he will help you and that you can look in triumph at those who hate you or persecute you or talk about you for it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people have you truly made up your mind to believe that is it truly applicable to your life and are you living it out first Corinthians 9 verse 24 through 25 don't you realize that, every, that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training, and they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives to resolve, decide firmly on a course of action to make up one's mind. So if you think upon and you meditate upon Galatians 5, verse 24 through 25, are you truly grasping the fact <coughs> of how you should live? Those who belong to Christ Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you been born again? Have you trusted in Him? Have you repented of your sins? Do you recognize your need for a Savior? Do you have that blessed hope, that confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He has risen from the dead? 
Have you come to an understanding? Have you resolved that you can do everything through Christ who gives you strength? And as you come to that understanding, then you are to live with the understanding that you have resolved that your old nature, your old passions, your old desires, your sinful nature, you've nailed them to the cross, to His cross, and you've crucified them there. So since then we've done that, we are to be living by the Spirit. We've made up our minds. We've decided firmly on the course of action. It's not I who live, but it's Christ living in and through me each and every single day, moment by moment, second by second, hour by hour. This is how you've made up your mind. The Bible reminds us that how does he transform us? By renewing our minds. By transforming our minds. And so if we understand this, then we will allow the Spirit to lead us. Listen to the last part of that scripture in every part of our lives. Not just on Sunday mornings when we decide to show up. Or any other time that you gather together with Christians. No, it is just who you are to the very core of your being. In every area of your life, that's how you're living. Because you've resolved, you've decided Firmly on the course of action to follow Jesus, to answer the call of a disciple, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow him. Romans 6, 11, verse 12. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through who? Christ Jesus. Don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. You've resolved. You've decided firmly on a course of action. You've made up your mind. Jesus is your all and all. And you should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus. And you're not allowing sin to control the way you live. And you're not giving in to the sinful desires. Remember, we've been talking about in Genesis where it reminds us that sin is crouching at our doors and its desire is to master us, but you must master it. And the only way to master sin is to die to it and to reckon yourself dead to it, but alive in Christ because you have resolved. You have decided on a firm course of action and you've made up your mind. To follow Jesus. Let's go to the book of Philippians where we're going to park ourselves for a little while. We're going to look at some scriptures to hope to encourage perseverance. Philippians 1 verse 6 is where we're heading. Scriptures that we have read before. But scriptures that we're putting back in front of us. And hopes again to encourage perseverance. Trials come in life. The Bible tells us this. And they come to equip us. They equip us by producing perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character brings forth hope. And that hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. And the hope in Jesus will not disappoint us. I've been talking for quite some time now about deception and the spirit of deception running amok. 
And it's only going to get stronger and stronger and stronger as the day of the Lord approaches. <clears throat> it is setting the stage for the Antichrist to deceive many. Just look at the earth. Just look at the culture. Just look at all the world events that's taking place all throughout the earth. Deception is running amok. But it's been that way since the beginning in the garden. The serpent came in and he deceived. Jesus tells us the enemy. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. And the spirit of deception works in manipulating us in our rebellious nature, in our sinful nature. He manipulates us with the ways of the world, the culture, your desires, because where does sin come from? From the desires that are from within. You give in to temptation, sin is birth. And what comes from sin? Death. Temptation itself is not sin. But giving in to it is. So what do you do when you're tempted? Well, you resolve. <laughs> you decide firmly on a course of action. Either follow your desires or follow Christ. You make up your mind either to go your way or the way of Christ. Deception. It's running amok. <clears throat> Even if you look at Jesus, when the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted, what did the enemy try to deceive him with? The world. The temporal things of life. That's all he has up his sleeves. So if you're living out of the temporalness of your life, you're going to be enslaved to deception. You're going to give in to the lies, to the desires, to the wants, to the needs of the old man, of the old woman, to that rebellious nature. But if you're in Christ, as you should be as a believer, and if you're not a believer, then come to Christ, receive Christ. But the position of a believer, the position of a Christian is in Christ. You are seated with Christ. And though things may be presented to you, you're in Christ. And though things may try to lure you, you're in Christ, and your hope is in Christ, and you can endure through whatever it is trying to sway you to challenge your thinking, to challenge your identity in Christ. But you can stand, and that's the hope that we have. After we've done all we know to do, then we can stand and stand therefore then, dressed in the armor of God. The enemy, again, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we ought, not, <clears throat> we ought not to be moved when he presents things to us. We ought not to be moved when, when circumstances arise that are uncomfortable for us. We ought not to be moved by the temporalness of this life, as I've been encouraging us for many years now, that the temporalness cannot and will not sustain life. It always brings death. Only Jesus and Him alone, you can find life and life to the full. 
So when we think about persevering, when we hear these scriptures today, when I'm encouraging you to really think upon the, the word resolve <coughs> and how that's active in your life, are you truly putting, are you truly putting things in motion to live out the Christian life, the full life in Christ? Not the burdensome life of religion, but the free life that is found in Christ. Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul writes, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul writes again, I am certain that who? God who began a good work within you, will continue whose work? His work. Until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. To decide firmly, to make up your mind. You didn't begin this in yourself. God did. He is faithful. He is faithful to complete what He has begun. So this new life cannot be lived what you have been, you've been born again of the Spirit, must remain in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Not in your flesh. The flesh and the Spirit are at war with each other, the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians. Within you, your flesh and Spirit are at war with each other. But greater is He that is in you than he that is in this world. And so when you understand the fullness of this, when you understand and you've resolved and you've decided firmly that you've made up your mind, then you can encourage yourself. Just as Paul encouraged us, that you can be certain that God began this work in you and He will continue it until it is finally finished. And when is it finished? On the day when Christ Jesus returns. You're not perfected until you are with Christ. Until then, remain on the potter's will. He's the potter. You're the clay. Trust in Him. He knows what He has purposed you for. He knows the good works that He has prepared for you. Your confidence is not in your ability to live the Christian life out. Your confidence is in Christ and in Christ alone. Your confidence is in God. To complete what He has begun. So just follow Him. Just obey Him. Just listen to Him. Allow Him to have full access to rule and to reign within you. It is not I who live, but it's Christ living in and through me. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Stay there, but go to verses 9 through 11. Paul continues, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing. And look at this. Growing in what? In knowledge and understanding. In knowledge and understanding. Again, we're talking about living in a day and age where the spirit of deception is running amok. And if you continue to be blessed with more days to come, it's only going to get stronger. In fact, we're told that in the last days, many will fall away and begin to follow the doctrines of demons. 
And in that, we understand that in order for us not to be swept away, we need to be rooted. And how are we to be rooted? Well, what Paul is praying here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep growing. And again, growing in knowledge and understanding. And he goes on in verse 10, For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may, what, live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Again, Christ's return. This is the hope. This is the blessed hope of the church of Christ. Is his return. We understand the day and the hour in which we are living. And so as we're talking about the three R's, to repent, to resolve, to release, and as we're focusing on the second R today, to resolve, to decide firmly, to, to make up your mind, to decide firmly on a course of action, what does that mean for a believer? That you've decided firmly on the course of action to follow Christ, to die to yourself, that you have been born again of a new nature. The old is passing away. Behold, all things are being made due. You're not clinging to anything of the old nature. No, you're releasing it and you're moving on from it. You've made up your mind that it's Christ in me, for me, through me. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ and Christ alone. And so we're gaining wisdom and we're gaining understanding. Without wisdom and understanding, we will be deceived. As the spirit of the age keeps increasing, as the spirit of deception keeps rising, as the culture continues to go the way to prepare itself for the Antichrist, who will show up on the scene and begin to do what? Miracles, signs, and wonders. To deceive, if even possibly, the elect. This is where it's heading. But the church is not to be quaking. The church is not to be fearful. No, the church is to be enduring. The church is to be burning brighter. The church is to be the representatives of Christ. The church is to be God's people. Remember, God's purpose, God's plan from the beginning to the end, that He will have a people that He will call His own, and in return, they will call Him their God. Is He your God? How are others looking at your life? So many times we put more focus on what the culture is doing. We already recognize the culture is deceived. So don't burn yourself out on them. No, just burn amongst them. In hopes that little embers from your life will begin to to fall upon them and begin to burn within them for them to have a zeal for Christ. Live your life. To some you will be a sweet fragrance. To others you will be a stench of death. But live your life. Resolve each and every single day throughout the day. A firm course of action. Make up your mind. You're following Christ. You're putting into practice what Scripture is saying. You're applying the Word. You're just not being a hearer of the Word. So that Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And that you will keep growing. And don't miss the importance of this Scripture. Growing in what? 
knowledge and understanding. In knowledge and understanding of Christ. <clears throat> and in that knowledge and understanding of Christ, it's the knowledge and understanding that in Christ, the fruit that should be coming from your life, this transformed life, not just the life that names Christ and lives apart from Christ, that's a religious life, but the life that names Him is obeying Him and loving Him with all of their hearts. But knowledge and understanding. He goes on, For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives. Look at this. Until the day of Christ's return. So until that day, either you're called up or He returns, you are to be living a pure and blameless life. Take that this week with you. How are we doing with this? God has set a standard in which we are to be living. Not in and of ourselves, because when we try it in and of ourselves, we're going to fail miserably. But in Christ, the Bible says if we walk in the Spirit, habitually we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But what do I do, Pastor, when I fall, when I sin, when I give in? Repent. Get up. Resolve. Decide firmly on the course of action. Make up your mind that you're not going to stay down. You're getting up in Christ. And then release whatever it was, whoever it was. It's a constant cycle that you're living. Repenting, resolving, releasing. Remaining blameless and pure until the day of Christ. Enjoy your life in Christ. You're the minister of reconciliation. Each one of us, if you are a Christian, you have been called into service, into battle. Again, you will not be able to stand in the days that are upon us and the days that are coming if you're not gaining spiritual understanding and wisdom and who Christ is and who you are in Him. And as I said last Sunday, do not be deceived. Do not search Scripture for you. Search it for Christ. Don't put yourself in this as if you're equal with Christ. Christ is Lord of all. But your identity is in Christ. You are seated with Christ. But Christ, Him and Him alone, should be the head. just faithful followers and servants and children. We're just the body. And we ought to be happy to be just the body, just members of His body. We're not seeking to be God. We're not becoming little gods. No, He's God. And we're waiting for His Return. He goes on, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Oh, for goodness sakes, if there's a scripture you take away from today, because there's going to be many scriptures, but would you at least just highlight this and circle this? Chapter 1, verse 11. Again, we're talking about the second R, to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, to make up your mind. He says, may you always be filled with the fruit of, of your salvation. Have you ever wondered what that fruit is? 
Well, here's your answer. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. This is the fruit that should be coming from your life. A character that's being produced that's honoring Christ. So may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced by your life or in your life by Jesus Christ. Not by your religious rules, not by religious laws, not by your religious activities, not by anything, but just Christ. Can we just get to the understanding how liberating it is to be a Christian? To be a Christian. The world is looking at us, and if all they see is religion, religious bondage, there's no hope in religion. But when they can see that you're a liberated people, one, you're either going to be in the stench of death and they're going to reject you because they're rejecting Christ because we understand from scriptures that we've read a few weeks ago, why do they resist Christ? Because he exposes their evil. He exposes deception. And the spirit of deception is at war with the spirit of truth. You just representing truth puts you behind enemy lines each and every single day you wake up. And I keep encouraging us in that. Every day you wake up, you are behind enemy lines. Do not grow comfortable behind the line. No, you're to be living out, actively engaging in warfare, in truth, not your truth, not your religious works, but in Christ. In Christ. Allow Him to produce within you that righteous character. Remember how I began this morning? Perseverance. Perseverance must complete its work in you, the Bible says, so that you become complete, not missing anything. Again, trials come because the purpose of them is to bring forth perseverance and perseverance character and character Hope. So don't you grow weary because you're facing trials? Don't you get overwhelmed because you're pressed in on every side? Would you just know the Word of God? Would you resolve in your heart and your mind to decide firmly on the course of action? Yet, though I am pressed, I will not be crushed. Just get up and proclaim truth. Because when we cower down to lie, He's enslaved us. But we're not called to be slaves to sin any longer. We are slaves to righteousness for His name's sake. So may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Not just when you come to church. Not just when you feel holy that moment or that day. But always. Always. Listen, the spirit of deception, the spirit of the age, it doesn't take a break. The, the level of warfare and darkness is increasing in every which way you turn. It's after you. It's in front of you. It's trying to spin you this way and that way. It's trying to capture you with empty philosophies and thoughts and everything else. And if you not, are not actively engaging, you're not going to be able to stand. 
not going to be able to stand. So it's vital that we understand what is being produced within us. And they're not only being produced, but that we're living it out. Because look how the scripture ends. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. To God. Go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 through 30. Living as citizens of heaven. Paul continues, For I fully accept and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I will trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. You see, here's an example of someone who resolved, who decided firmly on the course of action, who made up his mind, After he repented, after he was born again, after he received that which Christ had for him. Because remember, even Paul himself says, This gospel in which I preach, man didn't teach it to me. No, God was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son Jesus. And Paul even tells us in other parts of his writings that he was the worst of sinners. He was a very religious man. He was a well-scholared Pharisee. He was persecuting the church of Christ for God's sakes, murdering Christians, arresting Christians. He was not a good man. But Jesus stepped in. God was pleased to reveal himself to Paul. And just like Paul's life, our lives are forever changed when we surrender to Jesus. We've repented. We have resolved and we have released. Paul resolved, listen to these words, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue. You see, you're hearing resolving in these scriptures. I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. He's already settled within himself. The temporalness is not going to move him any longer. We must get our eyes off the temporalness of life. That's where deception runs amok. Our eyes are to be set up upon Christ. We're to look up, as I've been encouraging us, not look out, but look up. Things aren't changing. People aren't changing. Circumstances aren't changing. Things are only going to get worse. Well, why are your eyes focused here when you should be looking up? You're looking up for the day of His return. You're looking up towards Christ. When you keep your eyes focused and fixed upon Christ, you can't help but live for Him. No matter what's going on with these people, no matter what's going on with these circumstances, no matter what's happening with all the events that's taking place in the world, Christ is your all in all. So rather you live or die, you're in Christ. And there's a hope that cannot be snatched from you. He goes on, For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, 
I could do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I am torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy, experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, above all, you must live as a citizen of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. You're behind enemy lines. The Bible tells us over and over how we should be living. And that's why it's vital that each and every single day you get up, you decide firmly on a course of action. You make up your mind and you don't sway from it no matter what is presented before you. If it's against Christ, if it's against His glory, if it strips Him of His power, have nothing to do with it. As a believer, you know good, you know from what's good and evil. Choose good. You know what brings life, you know what brings death. Choose life. You're going to keep continuing to be presented. All of this, each and every single moment by moment by moment, but choose life. So conduct yourselves. Resolve. Decide firmly on a course of action. Make up your mind to conduct yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, throughout the day. Tell yourself that you've resolved to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together. Listen to this. With one spirit and one purpose. Fighting together for faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Listen to this. Resolve. Decide firmly on a course of action. Make up your mind. To be in fellowship, to stand together with brothers and sisters, be of one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. And then by all means, don't be intimidated in any way by our enemies. And if we live as such, if we live as people who truly believe what our Lord and Savior has said, on this truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot and shall not prevail. And what is that truth? That Jesus is the Son of God. The blessed Redeemer. This is the hope that we have. This will be a sign to them, who? The enemies, that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God Himself. 
For you have been given only the privilege of trusting in Christ. I'm sorry, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You're not in it alone. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Paul, constantly being beaten, constantly being in prison. The majority of his writings are coming from a prison cell. But yet he is encouraging the body of Christ. Yet he's not clinging to the temporalness of life. Yet he finds joy within his life and hope for a future because of Christ. Because of the one that he is surrendered to. The one that he believes in. The one who gave birth to him to be born again of the Spirit. The one that he Christ called out of darkness and brought him into his marvelous light and sent him forth in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation of his time to stand for truth. And as it was for Paul, so it is with us. He has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Deception is not to be ruling and reigning in your life. And you ought to take this week to really start considering your thoughts. How are you living? What areas of your life need to have the light of Christ exposing them? It's when Christ through the Holy Spirit who brings forth conviction that draws us into His light. We're not to shriek back. No, we are to boldly come. Humble ourselves. The Scripture tells us, submit yourself therefore to God. And then you resist the enemy. You can't resist the enemy. You can't stand against the spirit of deception in and of your own strength or your religious works. No, it's in full submission to God. And it's in that position you can resist. And the enemy has to flee. Has to flee. That's what the Word of God says. So Paul's encouraging us. He's saying, listen, you know what I'm going through. You know what has happened. You know how they're even twisting my words. You know how they're trying to do this and to do that. You know I'm in prison. You know I've been beaten, dragged out of the city, left for dead. But Christ in me compels me to get up and keep living. Are you living? Are you resolving each day? Are you deciding a firm course of action? Have you made up your mind? And so throughout this week, allow the Holy Spirit to have full access in those areas in your life that you haven't completely surrendered. Would you just ask Him, whatever it takes, Lord, bring me to a place of surrender in this area. I trust you with it. I don't have to beat myself up over it any longer. I don't have to run from it any longer. I don't have to try to pretend that I'm hiding it from you, that somehow you can't see it. Because last week's scripture that we heard, he sees to the depths of the human heart. (laughs) He knows. He's not turning from you. In fact, he's calling you. Again, when we have the wrong 
understanding of who God is, when we have the wrong picture, we run from him. But when you have the right understanding, you come to him. He's your only hope. Again, there's no error in God. God will never stiff arm man. It's man, it's the created where error is found. And it's the created that's stiff arming God. So your sin is not to master you. No, 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 no. Expose that. That's why the Bible tells you to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Do not let deception rule and reign in your heart and in your life. Not in even a little area that you said, that's not too bad. No, it's bad. It's bad. You say, but I, I don't know how to stop it. I don't know how to change. Stop trying. Just give it to God. Keep exposing it. Be amongst fellowship. Be amongst community. We're all in this together. There's nothing that you or I that's going to go through that we can ever handle by ourselves. That's why we need community. And this is what Paul's addressing here. Go to chapter 2. So we're heading verse 1 through 11. So is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Again, we see this and we hear this phrase of unity, of one mind, one purpose. He's asking these questions. Is there any comfort Is there any encouragement, any fellowship in the Spirit? Are our hearts tender and compassionate? He goes on. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. I wanted to get this scripture in front of us. as It's been in front of us before, but we talk a lot about it. And I've been trying to encourage us. That's the Christian life. You think of others before you think of yourself. You want to get you want to get a you want to get a, a head of the spirit of deception. <laughs> then stop thinking so much of yourself. Think of others first. Honor Christ. Honor others. Serve others. Remember that. Remember we, I talked a little bit last week, and I've been talking about it. Just understanding the tactics of warfare. Understanding the enemy. When the Bible says to be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. Everything is opposite in the kingdom of God than it is on this earth. You don't engage in warfare as the temporal, cultural does. No, our our warfare is not with flesh and blood, but it's within rulers and principalities in the air of the darkness. And in and of ourselves, we have nothing against them. But in Christ... We're already praying, we're already living from a place of victory. Not from a place of brokenness, but wholeness because of Christ. And so we can engage in in, in battle, understanding that the battle isn't really ours, but it's His, and it's already won. So we can live and we can think differently. So when we can resolve, when we can make up our mind not to be selfish, when we can decide on a firm course of action each and every single day because every day we all know things are presented to us just to think of ourselves 
to protect ourselves. <laughs> and so we ought not to give in. We're to, we ought to make up our mind not to be selfish, not to try to impress others, but remain humble, thinking of others as better than ourselves. He goes on, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had when you're in church. No, that's not what it says. Or when you feel holy. No, that's not what it says. It's how you live. It's just who you are. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, look at this, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of a highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. And so when the spirit of deception comes a calling, when culture tries to demand its rights and you want to go along with their chants, when the flesh wants to try to give in to everything and anything, will we just remember truly, if you're a Christian, who you belong to? And how you ought to be living. Not just amongst the church, but out there in the culture. Living in a way that is honoring Christ. Chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 10 through 11. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with Christ, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The price of knowing, the price, the, the, the priceless value of knowing Christ. Could you imagine if you got up every day and you resolved to let this be the forefront of your very being throughout the day? I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. But yeah, we don't like to suffer. Can't the Christian walk just be blissful? And yet Christ himself says they're going to hate you. Christ himself says, consider the cost. Christ himself reveals the truth of who he is and why he came, and how his kingdom is not of this world, lest we forget. But yet the spirit of deception creeps into the church and makes the church focus just on worldly things. And we, the church, should push back and say, our kingdom, which is his kingdom, is not of this world. We resist you in the name of Jesus. We don't give up, we don't give in. 
We don't go the ways just because the ways are presented by the culture and they're demanding for the church to change. Christ doesn't change. He hasn't changed from the beginning of time. And he's not going to change ever. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Oh, the blessed hope of being raised in Christ for eternity. Chapter 3, 12 through 21. Again, these scriptures I'm giving, I'm giving to us in hopes to encourage perseverance that you would go this week that you would be in prayer. That you would ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth. In what areas of your life do you need to resolve? Do you need to decide firmly on a course of action? Not living one foot in and one foot out. Not like, well, maybe. <laughs> no, let's get it done. It's the whole, it's, it's the whole you. And you say, well, I'm not ever going to be perfect. This is exhausting. Well, then you're only looking at yourself and you're still trying to demand your rights to live in that area that you're clinging to. It's liberating. It's liberating to live in whole, in a wholeness instead of a brokenness. Everything that the spirit of deception will bring to you is only coming from an area of brokenness in your life. So when things are presented to you, when you want to manipulate, when you just keep lying, you just keep giving in, you just keep trying to retain control, you keep just going and going and going and going, no wonder we're exhausted. Because our hope isn't in Christ. And it ought to be in Christ. The joy that is found in Christ. The hope that is found in Christ is so vital that we're living, that we're understanding that the joy of Christ, even in the midst of our sufferings, the joy of Christ sustains us. For too long, we, we've, we've, we're, we've allowed the enemy just to run havoc or to wreak havoc in our hearts and our lives and in our minds. But oh, that we would just resolve that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And yet though there are still areas in our lives that he is working on, we're okay with that. We're not okay to remain in, in those areas, but we're okay to know that we're not perfect. But we ought to know that He's working in us. And that's why I always say, just because we're not going to be perfect until we are with Him, that doesn't give you the license to keep sinning. Grace is not the, the power or the license to keep sinning. No, grace is the power to transform you. Like all of you. Every part of you. And it's liberating to give it to Him. To give it to Him. There's seasons in your life where things are just being revealed to you, and it may seem overwhelming. That's why you can't do it by yourself. That's why he calls you into fellowship. That's why it's vital. But allow the work that he's begun in you, as we read earlier, for him to complete it. He knows what's best for us. 
And so we ought not to just be clinging to things that come from a place of brokenness. Don't settle, you all. Don't settle for the breadcrumbs. No, he's prepared a place for you at his table. He has prepared a place for you. You are his child. He has adopted, if you're in Christ, he has adopted you. He has given you the right to call him Abba. He has given you full permission to come before him. He's the holy of holies. He's God himself. And yet he bids you to come. And confidence of what he has done for you through Christ. And that's why you come humbly before him. And there's a way in which you can live, you all, to resist the enemy as we're submitted to God, and to live upright in a crooked and perverse generation, to go forth and to be the light, to walk with your head up, have confidence in Christ, be bold enough to look at people eye to eye, smile at them, serve them, to think of them before you think of yourself, to go out into this world and to resolve to live that way, even though the world is darkening, And they're not thinking of you. They're going to step on your toes. They're going to pull in front of you. They're going to say bad things bad about you. They're going to do this to you. They're going to do that to you. Things are going to crumble. They're even going to try to push you out of society. But just stand. Stand. We go to this restaurant, P.O. P.O. And Alejandro is our waiter, usually, when we're there. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. We'll have to ask him one night. But he says something. I don't know if y'all, if y'all ever pick up on it. But every time he says it, I go, man. Because there's such a sincerity coming from him when he says it. He always says to us, family. Oh, it's so nice to see you, family. Family, how are you, family? And every time he says I just look at it, I'm like, man. Like that, it's, it's, it's so genuine. It's so sincere. And I don't know if he says that to every, all of his tables, but maybe he does. But even that's a draw, that draws you in. No matter what type of day you're having, no matter what type of attitude you're coming in and you're sitting down at the table for him to serve you, he says, family. How are you, family? Could you imagine if we go out each and every single day and we live our lives that way? I'm not expecting anything from you, but family. How can I serve you? I keep encouraging us the Christian life and how we're to be living. We're to be living differently than the way of the world. We're not out there demanding our rights. We're not out there just doing and running among. We're to be living a peaceful life. Because we have the peace that comes from God. And there's a way in which we can live, even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst. Because a lot of people think, well, I have to be perfect in order to live, and I don't feel perfect, so I don't live it. But that's, that, do you see how deception is running amok with you? Do you see how you're listening to the lie of the enemy, to the spirit of the age, to keep you down? You've got to rise up in truth. That's why you've got to be speaking. You have to be actively engaging in the newness of your life. If you're truly a believer, the newness of life, to live it. 
to trust in him. Not in of yourself. I can't trust in me to bring this about. If it was me, I would be back there. You would be back there. But when God reveals himself to you, and when you really grasp the fact that he loves us, even yet though we are in complete rebellion towards him, he shows his love to us. And that's what draws us to him. So daddy, I know, you know I'm not perfect. But you love me. And so I come. I humble myself. Complete the work that you've begun. Complete the work you've begun. And when I'm in error, if there's areas of my heart, that's why David could pray, King David could pray, search me, O God. Test me, O God. See if there's any wicked way within me. Do you have this relationship with the living God? Because we don't have to hide from him. I can come to him and say, Dad, this is what's going on. You already know, but walk me through it. Help me through it. Be my strength. Be my shield. Be my portion. That I will not crave or want that. Let me be satisfied with you because, Father, I'm not feeling satisfied. And the weight of it is pulling me. And he comforts us. He speaks to us. And you can keep moving. Little by little. That's the Christian life. That's what I keep trying to encourage you. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. And yet Christians sit in isolation and shame and guilt and condemnation and religious works and all this stuff. And we're stuck in a vicious cycle because the spirit of deception is weighing heavy on us. But what does the Bible tell us to do? Throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Throw it off. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is not in me and our hope is not in ourselves. But it's in Christ. So these scriptures I've been sharing with you, and the last one I'm about to share, Ephesians, I mean Philippians 3, 12 through 21. I just pray that you would go and you would study the word through this week. Each and every single week, when you get the notes, that you would just take the notes and just sit. And if you don't understand or you have questions, will you just connect with one of us? Will you just come on or zoom in on a Wednesday night if you can't physically be here? Or would you just come and would you just be a part of learning and growing? Come on Friday nights when you can. Last, last Friday night, I don't know about everyone else that was here, but what a beautiful evening it was. And we only spent maybe 15 minutes on two scriptures. But the conversation just from those two scriptures lasted over an hour. And it was so beautiful, it was so rich, it was so encouraging. We were the family of Christ, we were, we were together, we were of one mind, of one purpose. Treasuring our King, talking about our lives, opening up, being transparent. That's what the body of Christ should be. Because I've always encouraged you, where does true freedom come from? True transparency, I've got nothing to hide. Because... I have nothing to hide from him, so I have nothing to hide from you. I don't care how you'll respond, because I know how he already responded. He accepted me.
because of Jesus. Not because I remain the same and I stay broken and I stay in rebellion towards him. Because don't be, don't be misled. You remain rebellious towards him. You remain unrepentant. You remain a worker of sin and iniquity. And that is what you, your life is marked by. Then you will be one that will stand before him at the last days. <laughs> and he says, I don't know you. And remember the response. Well, didn't I do this? And didn't I do that? And didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? And he says, but I don't know you. I'm not in intimate fellowship with you. You were more intimate with your sin. You allowed sin to master you. So that turns you over to it. And for eternity, you all. For eternity. And I know it's not popular to talk about hell or judgment. But listen, we in and of ourselves can't strip him of who he is. And you say, and people challenge us, and people challenge me. How can you love a God that sends people to hell, that's full of wrath and judgment? And would you just respond? Because if you know you're God, you can respond to them with all confidence. How can I not? How can you not? Because you're acting as if the error is found in God. But when you truly know God, if He wasn't a God of wrath or justice, then I wouldn't follow him. <laughs> How could I believe in him? Because when you know the fullness of God and who he is and his plan, then you understand, okay, God, not only are you a God of love and of grace and mercy, but you're a God of wrath. You're a God of judgment. And those who resist you, those who continue to go their way, those who continue to stiff arm you, that talk in error about you, that it's caught up in deception, they will have no part of you. And for eternity, we're just not talking for a, 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 a moment of time. No, we're talking about eternity. Like, there's no end. <laughs> it's okay. Eternity, there's no end. Constant torment. And for what? Because the temporalness had more pull on you? Because the temporalness has more pull on you? Think about that. The temporalness. Don't live for the temporal, you all. Don't settle. No, trust God. Trust God. But for eternity, people are spending a place of torment and judgment because they resisted Him. Don't be found resisting Christ. Be saved, you all. Be saved. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 21. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But look at this. Again, when we think of resolving, when we think of deciding firmly on a course of action, when we're thinking of making up your mind, 
He goes on, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed for me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. This is Paul speaking, you all. But I focus on this one thing. You ready? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Listen to that. We haven't reached perfection. Even Paul himself says, I haven't reached perfection, but this is what I'm aiming for. Remember when I tell you each and every single day, you've got to get up and live out the truth in whom you are saying you believe in. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no other way to God but through Him, you all. And again, we're living in an age, the spirit of age is, 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 is being deceived, the spirit of deception is being released, it has been released upon the earth. Things are only going to get chaotic even more and more as we keep pressing in. But again, I'm encouraging you. Don't look at the chaos. Look at Christ. I can look at things and I can see how things are going and I can choose to get caught up in it, but I don't get caught up in it. Just be <coughs> the difference that people need in the midst of it. Just live a life, you all, of serving Christ. Being kind and compassionate. Being slow to anger. Keeping no records of wrong. Forgiving. Getting up and moving forward. Do you realize the impact that you would have on the lives of, of people around you if you would just live for Christ? Again, either they're going to hate you because they hated Him, or you're going to be a sweet fragrance to them. Because you're going to be life among them. Instead of just going along with choices and decisions that just bring death. So he says, <clears throat> verse 13, chapter 3, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. How are you doing that, you all? I mean, that's the reality when you're reading Scripture. Just don't read, okay, okay. No, just sit. What does that mean to you? How are you doing with forgetting the past? How are you resolving? How have you made up your mind? How have you firmly decided on a course of action to forget the past and looking forward to what lies ahead? I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. I don't have to argue with you. I'm believing God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress, oh dear God, we have already made. Highlight that. Circle that. Lest you start beating yourself up or comparing others. Or comparing yourself to others. Or unless you have a spiritual authority in your life making you feel like you're still way down here. No, just cling to the progress you've made. 
Because when you know the progress that you've made, and we were even kind of talking about this on Friday night, you recognize it's not in and of your own strength, but it's Christ through you. So if he's brought you this far, is he not committed to keep going? So don't strive to be perfect. Just strive to mature, you all. Your brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there, oh God, are many whose conduct, he's talking about the church, there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Again, the temporalness. But we, hallelujah, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which we bring, I'm sorry, which he will bring everything under his control. And the church says, yeah, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come until that day, Lord, we are clinging to you. We're living for you. See, there's hope that you can get up every single day, no matter what is going on. In here, in here, or around you. But what's happening here and here, you can do something about. You can give it to Christ. And you can trust Christ to renew your heart and your mind. So that you can live in a way that what's going on out here doesn't define you. You can still walk upright. Because we're going to have challenges. We're going to have seasons of intense testing and trials. We're going to go through. The moment we think, okay, we've got this. Oh, we're, we're, we're in serious trouble. We are going to go through. That's why it's vital that we're together, as we read before. Encouraging, edifying, and building each other up. We're all going through, and I've, I've told you all before, there's nothing that you're going through, no thought process, no attitude of the heart, no hidden sin that you can't expose that people among our fellowship are going to withdraw from you. We all are rebellious in and of ourselves. And nothing that you can do or think or say or whatever that's going to take any of us by surprise. Because given over to ourselves, we'll feast on anything that's placed before us. So don't remain stuck. Don't remain defeated. Learn how to walk in victory and to live in victory. Learn how to take thoughts captive and bring them under his lordship. Learn what it means to mature and to grow. Come on. Listen to the blessed hope that we have. Yes, there's going to be those among us that's going to be only in it for themselves. The wheat and the tares, they grow together. But we're not placing our eyes on people. And that's what I've said to you before for, for lately a lot over the weeks. So we all have a sad story of what the church has done to us. 
but stop focusing on what has been done to you and focus on what has been done for you. Only from the one that can do it, Jesus. Everyone wants to point their crooked finger at the church or the pastor or this person or that person. But that crooked finger ought to be pointing at you. You look at yourself and you say, God, I, mean, I told you before, one thing the enemy likes to do with me is to try to discourage me. And there's many times where I'm like, oh God, I, this is crazy. I don't want to do this. It's exhausting. But then he reminds me. It's not like seasons years ago where I would just crawl up in it and sit there for a while. Now when he comes, I push back, not in and of myself, because I, but I've already learned his tactics. I know. I know how he moves. So I'm not shocked by the things that come. We're going to move on to our walking through scriptures, knowing our God. That's sort of the reason why we walk with are walking. First Samuel. But as you're going there, I'm going to finish my thought here. But first Samuel chapter 18, verse 5 is where we're heading. And even though I can say I understand the tactics of the enemy, and even, uh, even though I understand that in and of my strength, I can't do it. It has to be Christ through me. I'm not prideful in the fact that I'm intact <laughs> in and of myself. I know Christ has me. I know he's for me. He's not against me. I know he was pleased to reveal himself to me, and he began a work in me. But see, each and every single day, we're faced with things. And I shared with you last week, I had a mighty blow in the spirit realm to me. That in and of myself could take me out. In and of myself, I would be like, oh, what? A relationship that I've always wanted my whole entire life. I mean, if I could, I told you all, if I could have written a love story or, or, or put it into to a movie or to, to a book or whatever, it was the ultimate love story of my life. I don't think people have this type of, of, of love story. Not, and some do it, but I don't think it's really, you, people find it. And yet... This individual presents themselves. It's been 30 some odd years. And yet it's right before me. And it hit me to the gut, to the core of my being, like, oh, God. And if this was just religion, if this was just a feel-good like, oh, this makes me feel good as a person. So, you know, if this was just something that was superstitious, and I keep telling you, there's a lot of superstitious, super people who are superstitious sitting in church. But superstition isn't salvation. You see, if I wasn't saved, that I knew that I knew that I'd been born again of a new nature, if I didn't understand the, the principles and the realities of spiritual warfare, if I didn't understand that it's the enemy's tactics to destroy everything that God is doing, if I haven't grown, if I haven't matured, if I haven't allowed my roots to grow down deep <laughs> into Christ, I wouldn't be here today. 
in and of myself, I would have been, I was, what? It's as if the enemy stepped in, unhinged, un, un, what do they do? Um, pulled the plug off a grenade and threw it right at me. And it took my breath away. For a moment in time, it took my breath away. And even though I died this relationship years ago, it was the hardest thing when I came to Christ, it was the hardest thing to let go of. Because when I would enter relationships with other people, I always told them, if he shows back up, I'm gone. If I got into a relationship with you, that's what I told you. Just so you know, if he ever shows up, I'm gone. You just, you just need to know that up front. You know the last man that I was with, he knew that. So when I was coming to Christ, I had to come to grips with all these feelings, all these desires, every, this incredible story. I had to come to grips with it, and I had to die to it. To fully release myself to come to Christ. Because see, when you come to Christ, it's everything. You just don't bring a little bit of yourself. It's your whole being. So I knew that I knew that when I came to Christ, I had to come to Christ with this. And I couldn't say to Christ 24 some odd years ago, if he returns, I'm out of here. No, no, no. I had to lay it down and said, I'm dead to this. And the greatest love story is not this. This is temporal. Nothing comes from this. The greatest love story is you. There's no greater love than this. Like, you love me? I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I'm living in complete rebellion towards you. I hate you. And yet, you step in and you say, I've got you, Rob. You're mine. And even though the enemy was trying to hold on, say, no, he's mine. No, no, he's mine. Release him. I'm just telling you all, this isn't a game. This isn't just, okay, I just come to church, you know. This, this is true. This is life. Like, lives are being impacted. People are being raised up. The kingdom of God is advancing. Even Jesus tells us that all this crazy stuff has to happen. But the gospel will continue to advance throughout the earth. You have to be kingdom-minded. You have to live with the understanding that you are engrafted into a whole different kingdom. You got to start thinking spiritually instead of thinking temporally. Because then when things are presented to you in the temporalness, you'll step back from Christ. And you'll say, oh, this isn't that bad, is it? The spirit of deception creeps in. Shh, don't be so caught up on Jesus. Just enjoy this. Just, just go this way or get into that. And does this really matter? Did God really say? Can't you just be who you are because God loves you? Like, 
understand the tactics of the enemy. But listen, you can't really grasp the fullness of the tactics of the enemy until you know your God. Because if you don't know God, you won't understand why the enemy is trying so hard to keep you bound. And so many people are out trying to learn of the enemy instead of learning of their God. And so that's when they get warfare all warped. There's a lot of people searching for demons, but you ought to be searching for God. I just want to encourage you all. I really do. I really hope that, again, that, you, that, you're, that, you're, that we're, we're heading into August. December 31st is going to be upon us soon. And beginning of January, I said, this is the year for us to grow. This is the year for us to mature spiritually. Great if you're accomplishing things in the physical realm, and that's fine. But spiritually, if you're not growing, if you're not closer to God by December 31st, God help us. Enjoy the progress that has been made. But don't stay. Keep moving. Keep growing. Keep going. Because it's only going to keep getting crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier. But you can stand because you know your God. And that's why my hope is as we're walking through scripture, a little in the old, some in the new, Psalm and Proverb, that we're getting to know our God. So when you know him, man, you're all in all. And nothing can compare to him. Nothing can compare to him. We find... (laughs) Today, chapter 5, verse 18, here we go. David just defeated, remember we read last week, David defeated the Goliath. Philistines are on the run. We saw we ended with Jonathan, Kings David, um, 1 Samuel, chapter 18, verse 5. We just saw last week, Jonathan, King Saul's son, the next in line to be king. Stripped for himself. Let's just read verse 4. Well, let's just read verse 2. Uh, nope, let's just look at verse 1. Here we go. <laughs> After David had finished talking with, with Saul, his, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for David loved John, I mean, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. He humbled himself before God's choice to be king. He had no clue yet. But immediately he saw something. And I encouraged us last week. That's how we come to Christ. <laughs> Give him everything, you all. Give him his rightful position. Because Jonathan should have been the next king in the temporal realm. Remember, Saul is the king of the flesh. They, the Israelites demanded We want to be like the other nations, so give us a king. God said, have at it. But remember, nothing, and it started off good. So don't be all giddy when things start off good in the flesh. See, that really didn't hurt. Look, it's going actually good. You you start listening to, again, the lies. 
because it quickly turns for the worse. So don't be swayed. <laughs> Wisdom and understanding, you all. But here we see this beautiful picture of humility. Here we see that he's relinquishing his rights to the throne. And he's given it to David. And as we should. We should. To Christ. Like, you take the throne. It's yours. So we pick up. Verse 5. Whenever Saul asked David, whatever Saul <laughs> asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war and appointed that an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistines, or the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to, to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed, has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to, to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp, as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away, I'm sorry, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. You see what's happening? There's always resistance to God's plan for your life. And yet you see what someone with a godly character handles the resistance? They keep serving faithfully unto the Lord their God. I mean, for God's sakes, he threw a spear at him twice. And David just kept serving. David just kept serving. Saul just keeps getting more and more jealous, more and more madness is creeping and setting in. That's what the temporalness does to the mind. It enslaves you to wickedness, to thoughts that produce such violence, such craziness in one's life. And yet, though something is good before them, they destroy it. They try to destroy it because they're jealous of it. One day, Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter, Mira, as your wife. But first, you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. 
Who am I? And what is my family in Israel? That I should be the king's son-in-law, David exclaimed. My father, my, fa- my father's family is nothing. So when the time came for Saul to give his daughter Mirab into marriage to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man from Mirab. In the meantime, Saul's daughters Michael fell, had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines, Saul said to himself. But to David he said, Today you have a second chance to become my son-in-law. Then Saul told his men to say to David, The king really likes you, and so do we. We don't, we don't, why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? When Saul's men said these things to David, David, he replied, How can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told them, Tell David that all I want for the bride's price is a hundred Philistines' foreskins. Vengeance on my enemies is really what I want. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. David was delighted to accept the offer. Before the, time ex- before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all their foreskins to him. So Saul gave his daughter Michael to David for to be his wife. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David, so don't keep missing this, when you hear that, the Lord was with David, and how much his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him, and he, re- he remained. I'm sorry, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked David, attacked David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. You see, God will promote us. God will move us through. <laughs> And get us where we need to go because he's with us. David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't a man swayed by the tactics of the enemy or the tactics of Saul. He went above and beyond. He served faithfully his Lord and his king and the people of Israel. And he remained humble. Saul now, we're going to go through chapter 19. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's done nothing to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all of Israel as a result? You you were certainly happy about it then, Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul, and David served, underline that, circle that, served in the court 
as before. War broke out again after that, and David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with the spear in his hand, the tormenting spear from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear struck in, stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. And some of us think we have issues with people that we report to. <laughs> he served. I've always told you, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what authority is over you, if they're not ruling justly, if they're not acting justly, just serve. Just respond in the right way. Not trying to observe authority, not trying to manipulate situations, just serve. Well, you don't know what they're doing. You don't, have they thrown a spear at you? Have they tried to assassinate you? Have they tried to make your life that miserable? I doubt not. The lesson that we can learn from a man whose heart was for the Lord. This was David. God had appointed him. God knew the plans that he had for David. Because ultimately the Messiah, Jesus, would come through David's line. God's plan. God's purpose. And God has planned and purposed us. And I keep telling you, there's works that he's created for you to do in this generation. Not because of anything or any special skill of yourself, but because of him. He will equip you. I keep telling you, you were created for such a time as this. You were created for such a, 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 a dark world. <laughs> but not to be dark along with the world, but to be a light among them. You were created. No matter how crazier it gets out there, you were created. And you ought to be living in a way that you recognize that. So how can I get up this day, Lord? Serve you and serve others. How can I go forth this day and not think of myself, but I can think of others? How can I get up and understand that sin is out my door crouching and its desire is to master me, to pounce upon me, but I must master it. In love myself, I can't. That's why I must dressful battle. That's why I must be able to know my God. That's why I must understand the tactics of warfare. I must, I must cling to my God and not be moved by everything that is presented or everything that's trying to come up against me. Oh, no, there's a way in which we can stand. And stand there for them. I mean, think about this. Are you thinking that way? Or do you just come to church? You just, you just come and like, okay. And then you just go the rest of the time living however. How sad. Because that's not how we're called to live. There's so much more to this Christian life, you all. And there's such a lesson that we can learn from what we're reading here. Verse 17, or verse 11. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. <laughs> they were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Micah, David's wife, warned him. If you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed, covered it with blankets, and put a cushion of goat's hair at its head. When the troops came to arrest David, she told him he was sick and couldn't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to get David. He ordered, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. But when they came to carry David out, they discovered... 
and that it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair on at its head. Why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape, Saul demanded of Michael? I had to, Michael replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. So David escaped and went to Ramah to see Samuel. And he told him all that Saul had done to him. Then Samuel took David with him to live in Neoth. When, they, when the report reached Saul that David was at Neoth with, in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when, and oh, God get excited for the rest of this chapter. I love this. So first we have Jonathan assisting with David's safety. Then we have Michael, his wife, assisting with his safety. Then we have Samuel show up. Or David goes to Samuel. And now we're going to see God move. So he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived and saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also began to prophesy. When Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops. But they too prophesied. The same thing happened a third time. Finally, Saul himself went to Ramah and arrived at the great well in Sukkah. Where, where are Samuel and David, he demanded. They are at Neath and Ramah, someone told him. But on the way to Neath and Ramah, the Spirit of God came even upon Saul. And he too began prophesying all the way to Neath. And he tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? God moved mightily, you all. So don't be impressed just because someone is preaching, prophesying, evangelizing, praying. God will fall and move upon whoever he needs to move upon to accomplish his purpose. So don't be swayed. These men, God was protecting David. And it took the Spirit of God to fall on them for them to get caught up and prophesying. God has your back, y'all. He's for you. He's not against you. God, I hope you're learning of him this year. Just as we're going more and more into scripture, that you're getting a good picture of who he is, that your, your eyes are being open, that the deaf ears are opening, that you're beginning to sense like, God, you're great. You're good. You love me. What am I doing clinging to this when you're drawing me to yourself? Are you responding, you all? It's every day. Go to John. We're wrapping up here. John chapter 8, 31 through 59. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, because you remember, we saw last week, Jesus was laying out some truth. And then at the end, verse 30, then many who heard him say these things believed in him. So we pick up. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Highlight that, circle that. He wasn't moved just by their belief. 
There's a lot of people who believe in Scripture, and yet they're not, they don't believe in the one of the Scriptures. So Jesus tells them, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth. Oh, God. And the truth will what? Keep you in bondage. No, no. Will set you what? Free. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And how do you come to know the truth? By remaining faithful to his teachings, you all. That's why it's so important to be discipled. I, I can't stress it enough. I can't stress it enough. It's so important that you're being discipled, that you're learning, that you're growing, that you're understanding. Remember we opened up earlier for wisdom, for knowledge and understanding? Jesus, Jesus looked. All these people believed. And yet he also knew if they didn't remain committed, they're going to be swept away. Again, the spirit of the age, the spirit of deception, increasing, increasing on the earth, on the earth since the fall of Adam and Eve. It's increasing. But we must stand and not give in. It's setting the stage, you all, for the Antichrist. Setting the stage for the final showdown. We ought not to get caught up with the lies and the deception. We ought to be a freed people. Seeing what's happening and responding in love to preach the gospel so that others would come to know the saving grace of our Lord. But look how they respond. But we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? You will, we will be, or you will, I'm sorry, you will be set free. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you that I saw, I'm sorry, I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. No, Jesus replied. I'm sorry. Nope, let me back up. Verse 38 again, Jesus. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they exclaimed. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told him, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It is because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, here we go, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was 
he always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is con- consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell, so when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Again, the spirit of deception being exposed. He was talking to these religious people who thought they were in it with God because they saw themselves to be these religious people. They're the children of Abraham. And yet Jesus, the Messiah, the very one in which they were hoping for and putting all their hope in, was standing before them and they were rejecting him because they made it more about religion than the truth about Christ. And where did they get that from? From the men that were leading God's people at that time. Remember, Jesus looked at the Pharisees. He told them, your father's the devil. In fact, he told the people, do what they say, but don't be like them. Remember, he tells them, you travel far to win converts, but you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. Like Jesus is speaking clearly. He's not, he's not, he's not playing around. He's going straight to the core of their very being. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do evil things he does. That's how we live before we come to Christ. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, You naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, You Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? Ah! No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, now we know you were possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, If I want to glory for my, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I had said otherwise, I would be a great liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward, oh, hear this, to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you you, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Oh, gracious. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. 
This is how people respond to truth, you all. Do you see how people are fighting for their rights in this, in this world? Clinging and demanding for themselves. And Jesus stood there with this religious crowd and exposed them for truly who they were. They thought they were in it to win it with God. And yet Jesus stripped it down. And I love the fact that he, when he pronounced, I am. Remember Moses? Who should I tell the people sent me? God responded, and tell them, I am. Listen, you all. I don't know if you all get excited, but this is God, you all. From the beginning to the end, he is the great I am. And he longs for us to be with him. He longs for us to be with him. So oh, how I pray we're not continuing, continuing to resist him, but that we're clinging to him, that we're running to him. He fights our battles. He has so much for us. Like when we think of eternity with him, do you understand what's waiting for us? Do you understand the pure joy that's there? Do you understand the life that we were meant to live, we will have for all eternity in his presence? Living the full life? No more death, no more sickness, no more tears, no more sin. Like a full life for eternity. Everything we were meant to be, we will live. And yet we fight so desperately to cling to all of this. And we're being lied to. I mean, the enemy is lying to us. The world is trying to define us. And our own very nature wants to drag us down. And this is what we're depending upon each and every single day to get through life. If it's not our very own nature, our very own strength, we're depending on the culture and the world around us to, to, to find acceptance and identity and, 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 and um, approval. And then each one of us, every created being, longs for something spiritual, something higher than ourselves. And yet we settle for all these false gods and all these false religions when the very creator is saying, here I am. Turn to me. I've got you. Trust in me. I'm keeping you. Like, I've brought you in. You're mine. Now live for me. Go to Psalm 112. Psalm 112, and we're bringing it home. Psalms encourage us to keep looking up. <laughs> Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight, oh look at that, delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. God comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will, will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. Look at this. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes 
triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. And wicked, I'm sorry, the wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. Ah, oh, praise be to God. Go to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 12 through 14. A couple of nuggets of wisdoms to throw, wisdom to throw out to you. 12 through 14 of Proverbs 15. Mockers hate to be corrected, so they stay away from the wise. A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. And finally, a wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool while the fool feeds on trash. Oh, how I pray that you're among the wise. Let me close us with this last song, and then I'll close us in prayer. <clears throat>